You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Tonight we'll cover the whole chapter. Um, shouldn't be hard to get through that. Uh, Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for your apostle that you picked, you chose, and uh, the time that you spent with him, the time that you invested in him. And um, as a body, we uh, recently, just the last couple years, we've enjoyed all that he wrote in the, in the gospel. And, and then a little time before that, we've all enjoyed uh, the revelation that you give him. And now, Lord, we're enjoying this, this epistle to a church, a letter to the church. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that uh, it, is, it is timely. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you'd bring us back to uh, what you really want us to get out of this passage. We realize, Lord, everything you say, you have a reason for why you say it. And every passage has a reason for why it's there. It aims at something. And, and we hope, Lord Jesus, it produces some life in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Just to uh, review, because I wasn't here last week, I had a little stomach bug, but um, remember what he's concerned about is that over the course of years, this flock that he had pastored had eventually kind of, kind of gotten away from the simple truths of knowing Jesus and the simple truths of loving Jesus. Uh, that's why he started out. No, you know, you know, we handled the word. We touched him. We watched him. We saw him. And, and, and so he's been going through this, this uh, letter to remind them what they know and what they have already. Because by this point in time, after about 30, 40 years, as believers sort of drift away from their beginnings this way, then this false doctrine comes in on top of that, the Gnosticism. And the Gnostics come in and say, no, there's something better, there's something higher, there's a deeper life, a more meaningful life. When really, you know, at the beginning, when you have the Lord, you have the most meaningful life you can ever have. So this, this Gnosticism started to creep in for, a, you know, a, a higher level of learning, a higher level of, of knowledge, and it was in addition to the scriptures there, and that's why he's just trying to bring them back into simplicity. And if you look at this chapter alone, I don't, you know, I, I don't know if, if it's right to break it down into a chapter. It's just this is where we're at, and this is what I'm studying here. You, you know, sometimes when we study the Bible, that's not how we break down a scripture, right? You know, there's been times when we just sort of move to a couple of verses into the next chapter. You know, these chapter breaks have been imposed, you know, by the translators in, in mankind, with the exception of the Psalms. The Psalms were written in chapters like that. But, uh, but this is where we're at in this chapter. And if I look at this chapter that we're going to cover tonight, the main themes that sort of rise out of this, the words that get used over and over again, is know, knowing, and love. And if you could boil it down into two real basic ideas, it's knowing God and loving, being loving. You know, that's what he keeps coming back to here, just this idea of you can know God, you can have a relationship with God that... Uh, koinia is what he started with in the beginning there, this exchange with God. You're exchanging your life with him. God's exchanging his life with you, and he's indwelling in you. And if you have this koinia, you can't help but have the result be loving. You know, if I'm not loving, then that means something's wrong in my koinia, in my fellowship with the Lord. You know, how many times have you heard it say, the horizontal is tremendously affected by the vertical, right? So I'm just saying it a different way. But this is the way John said it. So let's just get, he tries to tell him, let's just get back to the simple basics of this and just keep it simple to know God and then have his love flow out of us uh, to other people here. And sometimes, you know, honestly, I need that. I need to get back to just the simple things. Uh, sometimes I can complicate things. Can't you complicate things? You know, do, do we complicate life? Do we complicate marriage? We can complicate ministry. We can complicate our relationship with the Lord. And, I, you know, 
I love learning. I love studying things, learning new things, and I love studying theology. Honestly, it's the best thing we can put our mind to, to study theology. Don't get me wrong, but if studying theology doesn't make me draw nearer to the Lord and know the Lord more, then what's the point? Paul said, I'm just clanging cymbals. I'm just making knowledge in and of itself can be an idol, can it? And so, you know, I think John, he has a sense, he's a good pastor, he senses that, that this can become an idol with people. When we have a prophecy conference, we're not here just, you know, as prophecy groupies, are we? We're not here just for information. I mean, I'm hoping that Friday and Saturday we have a real live outpouring of the Holy Spirit, you know, that the spirit of prophecy is what? The testimony of Jesus Christ. I'm hoping there's something really fresh here that does a work in our hearts. You know, more than just prophecy knowledge, you know. You know, who's got the latest nukes out there and who's going to destroy, you know, what country and all of that, you know. We're really going to cover Bible prophecy about Jesus and him coming again. So it's good to get back to the basics and, and the fundamentals and just enjoy our relationship. It doesn't matter what, what kind of endeavor you get into, if it's athletics, how many athletes you got here? You know, if it's, it's basketball or uh, football, baseball, uh, you know, Billy Pauly, I know he, is Billy Pauly here? He's probably in Sunday school, but yeah, he's in children, children. he played tennis, you know. Uh, if you're a musician, you gotta start with the fundamentals, don't you? You gotta start with the fundamentals. You know, when I was, you know, playing basketball on teams like that, a coach, man, you know, I want to play a game. I want to get into it, man. I want to do a wraparound pass. You know, I want to do a trick shot. I want to hit the three-point shot. And my coach is saying, no, you're going to run lines. <laughs> you're going to do wind sprints. <laughs> I don't want to I don't want to run wind sprints. No, you're going to do five-man weaves down the court until, you know, you're nauseated, you know. You're going to do layups. You're going to do foul shots. Who wants to do foul shots, you know? I don't want to do that. I want to block somebody else's shot and then brag about it. That's what I want to do. You know, I want to get in the game, right? But fundamentals, you know, baseball, hit, you know, get ground balls, you know, uh, have a good swing, get your stance right. Uh, I was talking to a musician, very accomplished musician, just the other day. <clears throat> and he said, he's a worship leader, and he says one of the hardest things for him to do as he's discipling young worship leaders is to get them into the idea of learning the fundamentals. You know, they just want to play. You know, they just want to get up there, grab the instrument, get in front of the mic, and they want to make a YouTube video. Now, back in the 90s, when we did CDs, everybody just wanted to cut a CD. But now everybody wants to make a YouTube video. So YouTube videos are the CDs of today. But he says, I have a hard time just getting Christians just to sit with simple practice, get the fundamentals down, and be comfortable with the fundamentals and learn how to change a key or go up an octave or something like that. And they just don't have any patience for it. You know? So for us, you know, John here, he says, let's just bring it back down to simplicity here and let's just keep it real. Uh, you're going to see in this chapter the phrase, you are, a number of times because he needs to remind them who they are in relation to the Lord. You're going to see uh, a number of times you know over and over and over again in this chapter. You know, just to remind them. That sometimes you forget what you know, don't you? Oh, yeah, I know that. And sometimes you need somebody to say, no, you know this. You know, you just forgot what you know. So he'll say that. Uh, and then you'll see the phrase, this is how we know over and over again. You know, this is evidence, this is proof. So just to bring them uh, back to reality. But the, the word that really stands out more than 26 times is love. <laughs> love. Here's the apostle love. You know, John. So a steady, steady diet of love, you know, and the basics. I was thinking about, as I as studying the scripture, I think, you know, um, our seminaries today are, are full of complicated gobbledygook. I don't even know if that's in the dictionary, but 
Is gobbledygook in the dictionary? It, it, Rich Pearl tells me it is. I expect Rich Pearl to tell me that. <laughs> he knows. <laughs> but the, our seminaries are so full of this complicated gobbledygook out there and filling the minds of would-be pastors, and that's why the pulpits are filled with this craziness, this nonsense out there, and that's why the churches are doing so poorly. Because why? Because they're not getting back to just in the scriptures like we do here. They're reading all kinds of books but the Bible. They're reading scores of articles online and blogs about ministry and about church or statistics or, you know, uh, what the culture is like. And really, they just need to read more of their Bible. And that's where you're going to get into trouble if you start to read other stuff more and more and more and other books, even Christian books, more than your Bible. It's a temptation for me. It's a challenge for me because I, I read a lot of stuff, but I find myself challenged with the tension. Wait a minute. I'm reading all these other books, and I'm not reading. I need a steady diet of my Bible. And if more people, pastors included, would have a better steady diet of the Scriptures, of the simple Scriptures then I'll tell you what, they'd know God better, wouldn't they? Yeah. So he says, uh, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, or test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone into the world. Now here's what he's going to do. First six verses are going to be based on truth. And then once he moves past the truth, then he's going to get to love. The rest of the chapter is on love, but he starts out with truth truth and love here. And he's talking about these false prophets already. Hereby know you, the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. He tells them, look, you can test it. You know, you, you can. You Christians, okay? I, I, I wish I could address every single one. You can test the spirit of a false prophet. But first you have to admit there's false prophets out there. You just have to admit it. And, and having already gone through 1 Peter and 2 Peter, I think it's 2 Peter with regard to false prophets, uh, false teachers, I'm talking about those false teachers within the realm or umbrella of Christianity, right? Uh, I'm not talking about aberrant religions or the false religions. I'm talking about false doctrine, false teachers, false prophets within Christianity. Jesus would tell us the same thing. He would tell John... Uh, and the disciples there, I think it's uh, Matthew chapter 7, sir, that. he said, Don't do what? He said, uh, beware of false prophets. They're there. They're on YouTube. They're on the internet. They're on TV. You know. And I, I can't stress it enough. Just because they say the name of Jesus doesn't mean they're a true prophet. And not to rehash what Peter already spoke about, uh, but in a nutshell, it, it kind of goes like this. If you look at all the false prophets in the Old Testament, whether it's uh, the hordes of them that were in the time of Ahab that went up against uh, Micaiah or against Elijah, or if you look at the false prophets that Jeremiah or Ezekiel or Isaiah had to deal with, pretty much, if you put them all together, they basically told people what they wanted to hear. That's pretty much it in a nutshell. It was the true prophet who disturbed people. It was the true prophet who cut against what? The worldview or the will or the heart. When the, when the true prophet showed up, people got nervous. You know, when Samuel showed up in Bethlehem, what happened in Bethlehem? And he was on a goodwill mission to anoint David, the next king. I mean, he didn't know it was David. But when he shows up, wow, what's going on? So they didn't like the true prophets, but they liked the false prophets because they just liked to hear what they wanted to hear. There was a demand for it. There's supply and demand there. So you need to test, you know, he tells them, test the spirit of it. Pay attention to what is said. Pay attention to how it's said. Does it sound like the nature of Jesus? Both, both uh, nice and if it, even if it has a tone of rebuke, you know, because even nice Jesus rebuked, didn't he? And all you have to do is look at Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, how he spoke to the churches there. But you just, you just, you, the more you read your Bible and the more you're familiar with Jesus 
and the real scriptures there, then the better you are able to test the spirits of the false prophets like that. And here's the test. Here's the test here. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 22. And th this, is the, this is the test. It says, When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing follows not, nor comes to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken, but the prophet has spoken it presumptuously, thou shalt not be afraid of him. In other words, if the guy claims to be a prophet and he gets it wrong, he's not a prophet. Well, he is, but he's a false prophet. Does that make sense? It's one and done. You say, well, wait, wait a minute, but you know what? But he said so many right things for, for days and days and months and weeks, and boy, that last book he wrote, that book was really good, but now all of a sudden, because he says this one, yeah, because he says that one thing, he's done. He's a false prophet. Don't buy his books. You know, don't waste your money. Don't waste your time like that. He says a lot about the Lord. He says a lot about, you know, Christianity. He, I don't care. He prophesied, and he was wrong. He's a false prophet. You just need to tell it like it is. You can't coddle people like this. No, that doesn't sound nice. It doesn't sound, man, it doesn't sound very Christian of you, Pastor Scott. Well, I'm just telling you, don't, don't get ripped off. You know, a couple years ago, everybody was talking about the blood moons. Remember that? How soon we forget. But we had a couple of so-called Christian prophets that were making buck on their books about the tragedy that you can all expect, the crisis, the coming crisis that's going to happen when that fourth blood moon took place. I don't know, it was a year ago, two years ago, right? And people, people bought the books, they bought the tapes, they bought the seat. And by the way, if that's you, I'm not condemning you, okay? So I understand how people get duped. But it makes me sick when people buy into this kind of stuff. They don't read their Bible. They don't know their Bibles. And this guy has all this credibility because he has a big church and a big ministry and all of that, and he sounds so smart and everything. And then he gets people to buy these books, and guess what happened? Nothing. Nothing. And I'm fairly upset about it. So I have, a, I have a friend of mine. Well, this guy still has a ministry, right? He goes on. He keeps going. He's going to write another book because why? Back in December when it was time for Hanukkah, remember Hanukkah? When it was time for Hanukkah, this rabbi was going to tell everybody groundbreaking prophecy on how Hanukkah is the spirit of Antichrist, so all of a sudden, all of a sudden, he has a viral YouTube video, and it gets sent to me. Hey, man, hey, bro, check this out, man. This guy's right. No, he's a false prophet. It's already been one and done, okay? So as far as I'm concerned, no more credibility. So <laughs> I'm going to tell you what I really think now. <laughs> It just, but, but see, this is, the, this is the spirit of a true prophet who calls these things out. And I'm just, I love the flock. I'm telling you, don't buy that garbage. If they've written those books, they've been wrong one time. The scripture says, forget it. Get rid of it. So Paul, Peter, Ezekiel... Uh, they all tell us that there is a demand for it, and people will always have what, what Paul called these itching ears, you know, like, oh, yeah, it's actually a tickling, tickling my ears, you know, like, oh, yeah, oh, that feels good. Oh, yeah, tell me that, tell me that. I like that. Um, so you have to test it. Verse 2, he, he talks about Jesus Christ. You know, let, let's, let's move past just testing it with the Scripture, but now he talks about Jesus Christ. Uh, inevitably, if there's a challenge to the Scripture, inevitably what follows is a challenge to the deity, the person of Jesus Christ. Always. Hereby know you the Spirit of God. How can I, how can I know the Spirit of God? Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come 
in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is come of the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof you have heard that it should come, and even now already it is in the world. Now, obviously, this isn't the only thing that is spoken about concerning false prophecy and concerning uh, how people do damage to the person of Jesus Christ. What was John dealing with right now? What was the immediate thing he was addressing right there? He was dealing with Gnosticism. And what Gnosticism was telling people is Jesus could not be the Messiah. He could not come from God because everything material is sinful. So here's John. He's telling people that the Messiah is manifested in the flesh. And so Gnosticism, no, Jesus is not the Messiah. So that's why he's saying that right here. Do you understand that? Because obviously there are other false prophets that would admit that Jesus Christ was in the flesh. Mormons say that, don't they? Jehovah's Witnesses say that, don't they? Except, except, then they alter it. Oh, okay, well, let's, let's, let's do talk about the person of Jesus. Who is Jesus Christ? Is he a God? Is he the God? The Muslims say there's no way that God can have a son, right? I mean, the person of Jesus Christ stands right in the heart of the whole conversation of all the world religions, <laughs> doesn't he? And so here we are, and we're dealing with a real, you know, we're getting outside of Christianity. We're getting into the cults here with Jehovah's Witness and Mormonism and all this. And, and who do they see Jesus is? And, a, and just one small word can make all the difference in the world, either a God or the God. We're, we're here, we're talking about either a or the. These are the two words we're talking about. And in the, in the manuscripts, in the scriptures, John wrote, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's God. But what do they do? They got to tweak it. They got to change it. No, he's a God. He's another God. So this, we have to go back. You know who Jesus is. The next question that comes up with regard to Jesus was, uh, did he live a perfect life? And what does Scripture say? Scripture says he lived a sinful life. He was sinless life. He was perfect. You know, Second uh, Corinthians chapter five verse twenty-one. In him who knew no sin, you remember that. Uh, Peter would talk about him being without spot, without blemish. Uh, he was sinless. Um, but you know, you go past that now. And now you come to find out that there are a lot of people, even within the church, that try to make up their own Jesus, don't they? It's like they want to make up their own flavor of him rather than accept who Scripture reveals he is. You know, they, I like this about Jesus. I don't like that about Jesus. Well, I kind of think that Jesus, if he is Jesus, then this is what he would be like. No, stop thinking. <laughs> Or think better. But it, it just, don't be surprised if there's so many different people that are just making up their own flavor of Jesus. And we have to get back. What does the scripture say about who he is? Don't be surprised, Jesus said, in the last days. Like John here, don't be surprised. In the last day, there will be many false Christs. And there are many false Christs today made up in the minds of people. Well-meaning people, because they don't know their Bible. They don't read their Bible. They're just making it up as they go. Don't let that be you. You know, If you're going to tell people about Jesus, tell them where it comes from in the Scripture. This is what you have to do right in here. I was watching, a, uh, it's called a TED Talk. I don't know if you're familiar with TED Talks. And these bright people, some of the brightest people in the world, and they gather and they have these, these. Uh, I mean, they're really. I mean, they really are some in interesting topics. Um, and I just kind of followed as a news. I, I follow my on Twitter as a news feed for me. It's just it's kind of collect stuff for me. And uh, <clears throat> so anyhow, I saw this one TED talk of this guy. His name is Sam Harris. He's uh, 
one of the, the chief atheists of the day today. I mean, he's one of the main guys, right behind Richard Dawkins. But he's now, this new atheist is an atheist with an edge. I mean, he's an atheist with teeth. And uh, he was given this TED Talk concerning artificial intelligence. Uh, are you familiar with what's happened with artif artificial intelligence? I mean, we are really at the stage of Terminator. We're really talking about robots taking over, self-driving cars, you know, all of these kinds of things. We're really talking about autonomous weapons that make decisions on their own. You take pilots, you take the human heart out of it. I mean, think about this. This is where we're at, where we're actually talking about the kinds we thought was just science fiction. And he's, he's explaining where we're at in this stuff, and it's going to start to escalate rapidly. Um, it, it, it's, it's called Moore's Law in computers. And it looks like this, looks like a curve, a hyperbolic curve like this. It goes up, it just it hits, a, hits an edge and then goes vertical like that. And the idea is, as you make faster and faster computers, you use those faster computers to make faster computers faster. You see what I'm saying? So, and at some point in time, the, the smartness just goes right through the roof here. So right now, you know, behind the scenes, you were all talking about an arms race or a Middle East arms race or, no, there's an AI race right now, which is scarier. Because the AI race is more than just weaponry, it's control, it's banking systems, it's infrastructure, it's information systems, it's uh, power grids, it's satellite systems. So there's an AI race right now that's going on uh, around the world. But he says this, he's, he's walking back and forth and he's talking about all the, the ethics of artificial intelligence and realizing that this thing can get out of, out of control. Now here we are, I mean, he's having this TED talk about artificial intelligence and computers on the heels of an election year that was all about Russian hacking. <laughs> And WikiLeaks. I don't know if I want a self-driving car. Somebody can hack it, okay? I don't like it when somebody who's riding with me tries to tell me how to drive. <laughs> You're hacking me. I want to drive, okay? I got the wheel. <laughs> but he's having this talk, and they all realize the potential dangers of artificial intelligence just sort of all of a sudden hacking itself, saying, sorry, creator, I want to do my own thing. I'm smarter than you. So he goes through this whole talk, and at the end, he realizes, as he's trying to tell people, we have to be careful what we're making. And at the end, he says this. He says, we know that they're going to be better than us. We know that they're going to be smarter than us. We know that they're going to be able to do more than us. We just have to make sure that we make a God we can live with. Now, I know Sam Harris. I know what his aim is. I know he's against God. I know there, there, there's a whole lot in his saying what he means. There. There's, it's just pregnant meaning, right? But I thought about that, and I thought, yeah. <clears throat> That's what people like to do. They want to make the Jesus that they want. They want to make the God that they can control. And we have to be careful that we don't make up our own Jesus. <clears throat> we have to take him right from here. <clears throat> Verse 4. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Who's them? He's talking about the false prophets. Talking about the false, in other words, we have what it takes in here so that they don't over, overcome us. You know, they don't have to win. We can win. And how can we win? Because we have the truth here if we just dig into the truth. And because we have the Holy Spirit to discern, if we would only discern and be discerning, if we'd only be those who would separate the wheat from the chaff. You are of God, little children and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Isn't that a great promise? That's a fact. Greater is he that is in you. Who's in you? 
the, the very Je- the true Jesus that they are lying about. You have Jesus in you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world. Therefore speak they of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God, and he that knows God hears us. He that is not of God hears not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of Air. How do we know the difference between the spirit of truth and the spirit of air? How do you know that? How do you know you've been an overcomer? How do you know you're a, you're a Nikeo? You listen to the truth. You're listening to me right now. You, you, what I'm saying to you, you're, you're intently listening to. You're not bored with it. You're interested in it. You're interested in knowing the truth, and you're receiving the truth. You're accepting it, and you're taking it in. He's realized, as he's still trying to pastor the church, he's still realizing there are people who claim to be Christians, and, and he's not getting their attention. They're not interested. They're more interested in this other stuff. They're more interested. This other stuff is more exciting to him, to them, more intriguing than just the simple truth. So how do you know? He says, this is how you know. You know that you receive the spirit of truth as opposed to the spirit of error is because you're really interested in the truth. That's how you know. And only you know if you're really interested. You know, and Jesus knows if you're interested. But if you're not, if something's going on in your heart where you're not interested in the basics and the fundamentals and the simple truths of the scripture, then something's wrong. And you need to repent. You need to return to your first love. So now he's going to move from truth to love. There's a very clear line here between verse 6 and verse 7 as he moves beyond truth to love. And let me, let me ask you something. I saw this question. This is fascinating to me. I just, I, I'm still plumbing the depths of it. But the question was asked, if you could have a choice between truth or love, what would you take? It's a good question, isn't it? I mean, you can have a long conversation on this. If you could pick between truth or love, what would you pick? Because a lot of people are loved, but they're being lied to, aren't they? Truth is important. Trust is important. Foundation in any relationship, you have to be able to trust. You, you want to know that who you're talking to is telling you the truth, you know. Not for nothing, but he starts out with truth here for them as a fundamental foundation in their thinking, in their mindset, in their worldview to have this right relationship with the Lord. But you have to have truth first. And then he moves on to the love here. You know, any marriage relationship, you you can have all the love, you can have all the kindness, but if you don't have truth, it's bad, isn't it? Honey, I love you. Yeah, but I need to trust you. So let's move into the love now. And, you know, I I was, (laughs) when I was preparing for this, I was studying this, I go, my goodness, it's just so simple and so profound. To plumb the depths of it, I felt so, uh, you know, incapable, (laughs) you know, of really getting into this. I mean, you can continue just to read it and read it. That's the beauty and the uh, incredible nature of the Bible. You know, you just sit there with the Lord, and you're going to read real simple, you know, God is love. Bam! What can you add to that? You You just sit with that phrase, God is love, those three words, you and the Lord, and, man, your heart goes out, your, your head, you just sit with the Lord like, oh, my goodness, you know. So there are some very simple words in here, but they are so profound and deep. It's, it's going to take us all of eternity to really get into it, you know, and to really appreciate it all. He says, Beloved, Let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. Hey, any of you old geezers, do you remember that song? 
Okay, any of you not-so-old geezers, do you remember that song? And so some of these old songs come from old scriptures. And some people have an aversion to old. Oh, that's an old song. Yeah, but the oldies are goodies sometimes. It's the fundamentals, right? It, it, to me, some of these old songs, and I, I, I know we need new songs. We need freshness. I, I, I know we need that. But, but it's good to have the old songs too. It brings us back to a simple time. A simple time, less complicated. Some of our songs are too complicated, you know? And we just need simple songs so that people can sing them because people's lives are very complicated. And you come back to the simple truths, you know, and I don't know, I, I have a real hard time memorizing the complicated songs. Not like I'm, I'm walking around. When I'm singing to the Lord, I'm singing these simple scripture songs, you know? Children's songs. Jesus loves me, this I know. <laughs> you know, that's what I can remember. <laughs> I see a couple guys go, amen, man, <laughs> you know? But, you know, it's, it's back to, it's not complicated, is it? You know, it's very simple. It's, it's very pure like that. And he says, beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. Everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. He that loves not knows not God, for God is love. Okay, John, I mean, listen, you're so first century, man. You've been telling us, love each other, okay? I get it. Why do you have to keep telling us to love each other? I mean, I've been walking with the Lord for 40-some years. I know that. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> like every, every letter, it keeps coming back to that, doesn't it? Paul had to tell the church. Peter had to tell the church. James had to, Jesus had to tell the church, love each other, love each other, love each other. And here's John. He's been telling this already, but he just, he won't get away from it. He won't get away from it. It's not complicated, but it's very necessary. It's very profound. We need to love each other. You see, the Pharisees became the authority, and they wanted to keep it that way. And they were filled with theology. They were filled with doctrine, but they were empty in love. And they would tell everybody, I know God. They didn't. John says, no, you don't. If you don't love, you don't know God. Is that clear in this verse? I can tell people how much I know about God. I can tell people how much I know about doctrine. But if I don't love people, if that agape is not there, then don't tell me you know God. It's just, it can't happen. It's not, it's not possible. And that's what Jesus came to do to sort of disrupt. And Jesus and the true prophet in Scripture means to disrupt us. We, we need to be disrupted, don't we? We need to be interrupted that way. And he says it in these verses two times. No, no, you don't. You don't know God. If you don't love, you don't know God. Because... Because the physics, the, the spiritual physics are, if I'm in a right relationship with God and he is flowing in me, if I know him, then the agape is going to come out. That way. It's an automatic way. That's true. That's, Scott, don't, don't be self-deceived. Don't deceive yourself, Scott. This is truth. <laughs> you know. Don't lie to yourself. Don't convince yourself. Here it is right here, straight up, you know. And he says, God is love pretty profound, you know. And look at all the descriptions of love in the world. Look at all the ways that they try to define love. They don't know what love is, right? That's why we have to go to them. And he's going to get into that. He's going to move further in the progression that if we know God and we know love, then we have to, we owe it to them to testify of this love. But think of the way they define love out there. There was a couple a long time ago, musicians, named Sonny and Cher. Anybody remember them? And when they were married, they sang a song, I got you, babe, till they divorced, and they didn't have each other anymore. And then there was another couple, Captain and Tennille, love will keep us together until they divorced. <laughs> Guess love didn't keep them together. 
Then there was Billy Joel, who sang a love song for his first wife, Elizabeth, just the way you are, I love you just the way you are, until he divorced her. And I could go on and on and on, but it's, I don't want to sing oldie moldies here. <laughs> but think of all the ways the world has all this hope in this shallow, surfacy, bogus kind of love. It's not doing anything for them. Until we get here and we say, well, this is the definition of love. God is love. God, you want to know what love is? This is, this is love here. And you want to know the, the, the deepest, most full expression of love. It came right out of God's own heart in the next verses, verse 9. In this, God is love. In this, now this is how it was manifested. In this was the manifest, in this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love. This is love. You want to know what love? John says, this is love right here. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. What's the propitiation? The place of substitution, the place where he would show mercy. Remember, I think it's in Exodus um, uh, chapter 25. He's telling Moses about building the Ark of the Covenant, and he's talking about uh, the gold being overlaid, and he's talking about the cherubim, the form of the cherubim, which would be the mercy seat. And God would tell Moses, says, this is the place where I will dwell with you. This is where I'm going to meet with you. I'm going to meet with you on the mercy seat right here. The place of mercy. All foreshadowing, all pointing to a greater expression of love, that mercy seat of Jesus Christ, the cross that John is talking about here. This is, this is love. You want to know love? This is love here. <laughs> this is deep love that God has for us, that he would actually send his son for us. Think of that one hymn. Uh, how deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure. I didn't think this was going to be music night, but <laughs> it's just turning out that way, isn't it? <laughs> when, I, when I was thinking of, uh, about this deep love, that's, man, how, how vast. And that's why Paul would write in Ephesians 3 for us to contemplate the breadth, the length, the depth, the height, the width, how vast his love. He wants us to, to really sit and meditate on that, chew on that, you know. Pretty amazing. to counter humanity's animosity toward God, to counter our own self-love, our own self-absorption, to kill our wrong love. As we were enemies of him, he destroyed his enemies through love. <laughs> That's what he did. That's how he kills enemies. By loving us, he changes us with his love that way. rescued us. Now, I've had people that are, you know, that have helped me in a bind, um, whether it's, you know, a sticky situation or a financial bind, and they've, they've helped me, find, you know, given me money, you know, and they've, they've paid a price, you know, they've sacrificed for me. It wasn't necessarily because I deserve, it wasn't necessarily because they liked me or I was nice. It was because they were loving, because they were kind, because they were generous. You know, and when they did it for me, I'd look at what they gave me and I said, man, I, I don't deserve this. No. It was really less of a reflection of whether or not I deserve it and more of a reflection of how loving and kind that person was. That's the way the Lord is with us. God does it because he's love. If you're not in a relationship with God today, if you don't, if you don't really love God, this is good news for you, isn't it? Because probably you have felt that you had to perform and do something to earn God's love. It's something wrong, a virus in all of our programming. You know, when man fell in our fallen nature, somehow we all got that, that I have to do something in order for God to respond to me. No, he does for me first. And when we recognize his love for me, even though I didn't do anything, that's the thing that makes me love him back. And that's what he wants you to know tonight. That's who Jesus, that's the real Jesus. 
That's real love. And so now he says, this is the right definition of love. This is who God is, and this is what he's done for us. Now he says, what can we do because of that? What's our response to that? Verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. You know what the best word in that sentence is? The best word in that sentence is so. I know God loves me. I know he is love. But the quality of love, the kind of love, the measure of love is described in that word so. If God, so, if God loved us like this, if God loves us this much, do you get that out of that verse? If God so loved us, of course it makes sense we ought to love one another. And of course, he's not even talking about enemies, is he? He's talking about brothers and sisters. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about agapeing brothers and sisters here. No man has seen God at any time, but if we love one another, God dwells in us and his love is perfected in us. He's going to use that word perfected three times in the remaining verses of this chapter. What's perfected mean? It means completed, right? Uh, he, he's going to say it here in verse 12. He's going to say it again in verse 17. Herein is our love made perfect. And then he's going to say it in verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. He's, he's got this idea. Here's God. God has this love. God gives his loves to us, and his love is completed as we extend it out to other people. That's what John is saying. The, the way God wants to love other people is to love other people through his people. His love is completed through our, Okay, since he loves us so much this week, we ought to love each other, and his love is completed in fulfillment and action in the way we carry out that love with one another. That's what he's getting at. So he says, if we love one another, God dwells in us, and his love is completed in us that way by extending to other people. Verse 13, hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. You know, John, you keep repeating yourself. <laughs> he goes, yeah, I'm repeating myself. I want to say it over and over and over again here. And here's what happens, you know, and in, in, in myself included. I can be so overwhelmed with God's love, and I am over, and you are too, and you know that God loves you, and you know that he's love, and you know that he loves the world, and you know that he loves your brothers and sisters. And when you, you know, you recognize that fact, and you've been saved, and all that you've been saved from, the kinds of things that we say to the Lord is, Lord, I'll do anything for you. I mean, I'll, I will die for you. I will, I will serve you wherever you want me to go. I'll go, you know. And he says, okay, well, if you love me, uh, I want you to love that brother that uh, has been mean to you. Oh, well, I can't do that, Lord. Oh, Lord, you know, uh, gosh, you have saved me and I want to serve you. I'll do anything. Well, okay, well... How about, how about love that husband that's been really nasty to you? Oh, yeah, he doesn't deserve that. You know? How many of us in marriage, we, you know, we fall in love with our spouse, and oh my gosh, you know, you write those poems when you could write poetry, you know, and I'll, I'll climb any mountain, I'll cross any ocean, uh, I'll do anything for you, honey. And she'll say, well, could you take out the trash? Ah, I don't want to do that. <laughs> Not that. We start to draw a line, don't we? But John says, don't draw the line. I want that love. If, you, if you're saying this, if this really is real, my love is perfected, it's completed, and it wants to be completed, carry it out, keep going by being agape, you know, when people don't deserve it, being outgoing and kind, be the initiator that way. Verse 14, and we have seen. Now he carries it a step further 
because now he goes beyond the brotherhood and the family of God, and now he says, now I want you to testify. Now I want you to be a witness. Now I want you to hit the streets. Now I want you to proclaim it. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwells in him, and he in God. You know, you and I know. We know that Jesus is the Son of God. We, we've seen the evidence. We've, we've witnessed it in our own lives. Um, but a lot of people out there, they have not witnessed Jesus Christ. And the only way that they're going to witness Jesus Christ is the witness through the way your love is perfected to them. You know, that's, that's what light is. At some point in time, we have to testify, don't we? At some point in time, you've got to tell somebody, you know, and speak up. And probably you are the most misunderstood person in the country right now if you're a follower of Jesus. You're probably uh, the most stereotyped person in the country. Because why? I mean, it's been all over the news for eight, ten years about Christians and with regard to homosexuals and marriage and same-sex marriage and all this kind of thing, that you're bigots and you're homophobes and, and you don't love people, you don't like people, and you're judgmental and all these kinds of things. So you walk out the door, whether you go to work or whether you're at the store, you walk out the door with that label all over it. You know that's what people think of you, don't you? And so you walk out and it's almost like, man... <laughs> Why do I even say anything? Because I know what people think. I know what they're going to say. And you don't even want to say anything because it's like the deck is stacked against you, isn't it? He says, but we, you know, we have to go out there and we have to testify. And the way to really dissolve all that is the way God did it with us. How did he dissolve and destroy the enemy in us? He did it with love, didn't he? That's how you can do it. Okay, yeah, they think wrong thoughts about you. Okay, yeah, they have judged you. Okay, yes, they, they are just completely wrong, and they've stereotyped you. The very thing they don't like happening to them, they're actually doing to you. So what do you do? You dispel that notion with love. Let God's love be completed, perfected through you this way, and you agape them and then have them just find out, oh, my gosh, that's not true. Maybe they've, you know, had a bad experience with another Christian. Maybe they've had a bad experience with another church or something like that. I, okay, I understand that. But you have a great opportunity. Now, when I was a kid, uh, my, I loved magic tricks. I, I went through this phase where I just, I loved tricks and magic tricks. And my grandpa, um, you know, beer guzzling, bar owner, Italian guy as he was, uh, he had these bars and he would, he would bring home these little gimmick tricks and things like that. And his garage was kind of loaded with him. And I like to go in his garage and I like to find these gimmick tricks. I kind of, I, I really love my grandpa. Um, but he, he had these gimmick tricks like false barf. <laughs> you know, it was like the rubber chunks, you know? And he, you know, he was a, he was a goofer guy, you know? And he would give this, here, go this, go put this down in the kitchen for your grandma, you know, Grandma Rose. So, okay, Grandpa, you know, I take that barf, you know, and I throw that on the ground, and Grandma would walk in, she'd scream, you know, Scott Randall, you know, <laughs> all that stuff. She, crazy, you know. But, and, then, and then the ice cube with a fly in it. Do you remember that? Stupid, stupid, but he loved those things, you know. Uh, whoopee cushion thing, it would make noise, and you put it in somebody's seat, and it, yeah, okay. So, all, that, all these corny stuff, he'd bring all this stuff, you know, home from the, from the bar, you know, give it to me. And uh, <laughs> I can hear my grandma's voice now <laughs> talking to him. Joseph, what are you doing to your grandson? You know, all that kind of stuff. And then, they, you know, what they, one of them was Sicilian. One of them was from the mainland uh, Italy, and they had different dialects. And when they would get in fights, they'd argue in the different dialects. <laughs> and then they'd argue about the dialects, who's right, you know. So, uh, you know, I'd, I didn't understand any of the words. Every once in a while, rigatoni would fly out, you know. And <laughs> I got that, you know. <laughs> But, um, but I had this, I, he gave me this uh, deck of cards, and it was, a, it, was a, it was a magic deck, it was a trick deck, you know, 
And the cool thing about the deck is you learn how to use the deck and then do tricks and all that. And on the corners, there were these little symbols. So I could learn how to read the cards. and say, hey, you know, hey, you want to play, play some cards? You know, yeah, you know. And, uh, and then I'd fan them out, you know, pick a card, any card like that. And I knew how to do all those great. And I thought, man, that was so cool. And the deck was cut a certain way, and it was kind of angled. So, you know, we'd fan that out. And then they, oh, I'm telling you my secret. I can't tell you that. But you'd fan it out, they'd pull a card out, and then you'd turn the deck around, they'd put the card in, and it'd be cut wrong, and you go, okay, Swami, uh, and I'd pull that card out and get it right every time, right? Because it would just cut a little bit different, you tell the edge, so. Anyhow. <laughs> we think, here's the deal, we think when we go out there, the deck is stacked against us. You really do. You really think because of uh, the political terms, the social terms, the news and all of that, nobody wants to hear it. And so you don't bother. But I'm telling you that the deck is stacked in your favor. I'm telling you to think in terms of God arranging things for the person that does want to hear. Think of how many people need to know what you know. And I'm not, I'm not talking about theology, I'm talking about love. Think of how many people from broken homes and the stress and the strife and the anguish. He's going he's gonna to talk about fear. Think of how many people are fearful today. So rather than going about your life thinking that the deck is stacked against you, think about God just arranging things supernaturally and quite possibly that person right there is there and wants to hear it. Because I think that the field is white, ready for harvest. I think that the conditions are just right where people are needing this kind of thing. So don't hesitate to do what? To testify and tell people of God's love. God loves you. Just tell them. Just say, hey, you know what? Did you know God loves you? And maybe, the, maybe they have a rap sheet a mile long. Maybe they have messed up relationships and mistakes a mile long. To hear that God loves them, Wow, very simple, profound truth that can just penetrate, penetrate. Maybe they've been an atheist. Maybe they just hate God. You say, you know what? God's not your enemy. He loves you. And tell him. See, that's how his love is perfected and extended that way, as John is saying here. Verse 16, and we have known and believed the love that God has to us. God is love and he that dwells in love dwells in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made complete. He says, see, this is it. This is how our love is made complete, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Another way in which it's completed is we don't have to fear God. The, the idea, the language here, is that at the Bema seat, when we meet him, we can have free speech. That's the language here, free speech. I'm not afraid. I'm not ashamed of anything. I'm not intimidated by him. He doesn't want to intimidate us, and we can stand there before him. When, it's, when it speaks of boldness, it just means freedom, and I'm, it's okay to be in his presence this way. You know, Just freedom of speech here, free and fearless and confidence to be with him, nothing to hide, nothing to be ashamed of. And notice this, there is no fear in love, but completed love casts out fear. Isn't that something? What a strange combination, you know? I would expect that courage is the thing that gets rid of fear. I would expect that courage is the antithesis of fear. But he says, no, the way to get rid of fear is love. Love gets rid of fear. And, and you, a lot of you know that. You know that you've, you may have... Um, um, inhibitions, anxieties. Um, you, you may have <clears throat> insecurities, a lot of insecurities. One of the biggest damaging effects of the fall, all of our insecurities. And there is a lot of fear, whether you're a man or a woman. But women are just more able to express it. Men are far less likely to express it. It takes a revelation of the Lord, a deep work of the Holy Spirit to say, yeah, I got anxiety. I, yeah, I have some insecurities, you know. But it's love that's the antidote. This is, actually, this is Shannon and I's verse. This is our, our marriage verse. Um, when I get her, 
jewelry from Israel. It, it was on her, her wedding ring there. I put 1 John 4.18 right in the middle there, right on the inside. Because we both came with baggage, a lot of baggage, and a lot of insecurities. And I, I didn't know how many I had, and she had a lot too, and it was hard for us to open up. You know, it was hard for us to open up and actually get to know each other and talk and things like that. And then the Lord did what? He had this completed love where the fears went away. And then we began to open up. And then when you open up, then the two can become one that way. But love is the thing that would be completed in the world when you go out there and you love people because, don't you know, they have a boatload of insecurities, you know? Oh, you're a Christian. Oh, you don't like me. Oh, you're a Christian. Oh, you judge me. Oh, you're a Christian. No, no, that's not it. Not at all. <laughs> no, you're wrong. <laughs> I don't know who you've been talking to, but I love you. <laughs> well, I'm a homosexual. You, you hate me. No. <laughs> God loves you. I love you. <laughs> that's not right. <laughs> There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out of fear because fear has torment, and he that fears is not completed in love. We love him because he first loved us. I mean, look at that. It's, it's a response, isn't it? Why can't I love? How can I love? I love him only because he loves me. That's what happens. We love him because he first loved us. What a response. What a principle. But if a man say, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. Now that, again, is what I call clarity. Don't you call that clarity? No, don't, don't tell me that. Don't tell me you love God and you're trashing your brother. Don't tell me that you love God and you are behind the scenes doing a, a very vicious character assassination on your brother, destroying him. That's not love. And John says, that's not right. You're a liar. <laughs> Scott, if you're doing that, you're a liar. That's what the Bible says. That's truth. You know, it's not watered down. That's what we need to hear, don't we? You know, and the Bible talks a lot about the way we bite and devour one another and gossip about one another and destroy one another and tear each other down. That's not love. Oh, I love Jesus. I want to worship Jesus. Well, then love your husband. Love your wife. Quit tearing them down. Don't be a liar. And go talk to the Lord and get it right and be honest. For if a man say, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he that loves not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loves God loves his brother also. <laughs> so he just sort of encapsulates it, doesn't he? Just sort of says it. If you love God, you're going to love your brother also. That's the way it works that way. And so he just, you know, he says these very simple things, the fundamental things, brings it back to the basics to know God and be knowing him and a direct result of knowing him is, is this love thing, you know, in a body of Christ this way. Isn't it? I mean, it sounds simple, doesn't it? And we got to keep it simple. So, but before you leave, I just, I want to ask you this question. Is there anybody here, your walk has gotten far too complicated? Anybody here, your, your theology has gotten too complicated? Your life has got far too complicated, because I don't want to leave here with just this truth. I want to leave here where you have a sense that this really has taken some action you've been ministered to. But if you've had a sense that, yeah, things have gotten way too complicated, I have gotten way off here, and I've forgotten the fundamentals, and, and I want to get back to the base. I want to get back to Jesus. I just want to keep it simple, be about me and Jesus, and loving Jesus, and loving each other. If that's you, then just, you know, Get somebody to pray for you, you know? Just, hey, you know, I want to keep it simple. Uh, because, you know, we all go through that. I mean, it happens to me too. Ministry can get complicated for me. And I can be thinking about all kinds of different things, you know, that I'm going through. And if I'm not careful, man, I just get off. And I got to get back to the very simple truth of loving Jesus and loving each other, you know? Get back to the truth that way. But don't leave here complicated, okay? Leave here simple. Leave here free. And, uh, I mean, I, I heard you guys. When you guys got here, man, you guys were making some noise. 
you were loud. You were really Pentecostal. You were like having a good time. Um, sometimes you get here and you're kind of somber. You're kind of quiet. I go, oh, something's, something's wrong here. But the sheep were making a lot of noise when you got here. But if there is one person here or two or three where, man, you know what? I'm just fried. I made it too complicated. I want to I get simple here. And pray with the brothers. Say, hey, pray with me, you know. And just and, uh, ha- then they have, you have other people that know, hey, I know how to pray for this guy, you know. Because it can happen to any one of us. All right, let's stand and we'll, we'll pray. <clears throat> and Father, I think that's, that's what's on my heart right now. I want to pray for the church. I want to pray for the flock. I'll, my own heart, Lord, I just want to keep it simple. And I want it to be so simple about you, Jesus. I want it to be a Jesus movement. And I want to keep it a Jesus movement. And I want our prophecy conference this weekend to be a Jesus movement for two days of nothing but your truth and scripture and be all about you, Jesus. And I want to pray for the flock, uh, my heart for them, that they would not have all these other ideas coming in to kind of take them away from the simplicity that they have in you and the profound love that they have in you. And I want us, Lord, I want our, our church, all of us, out of that simplicity, Lord, to be able to have your love perfected in us and to reach out and extend to a fearful, anxious-ridden, medicated-ridden humanity out there who don't know your love. Lord, if there's any, any walls that we have, that I have, any prejudice that I have, Lord, I pray that you would just crumble it, break it down. If there's any way in which I've become or we've become too, too insular, too insulated, Lord, too isolated, Lord, I pray that you would just strip it away. Bring out your, your pliers, Lord. Strip that insulation right off us and just let us go out to this world, this hurting world, and just extend that love, perfect that love for you on your behalf. In Jesus' name we pray. Oh, and by the way, Lord, we pray that you come quickly. Amen. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Scott Gallatin. If you enjoy the message, you can learn more about Pastor Scott's ministry by visiting www.ccfingerlakes.org.